This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson, and we have a very special episode for you today. This is our very first remote CMO roundtable. For this episode, we connected with some members of GCMO, which is a group of Israeli CMOs and heads of marketing who get together to discuss common challenges and share lessons they have learned. So we were lucky enough to be joined by three GCMO members for this episode. We have Efrat Fenigsen, who is the co-founder of GCMO, Tamir Jerbi, who is the vice president of growth at Lemonade, and Madi Yahav, who is the CMO of SodaStream. On this episode, they talk about some of the unique challenges of being a global CMO working in a smaller market, their favorite campaigns that they've ever been a part of, and much more. It was a blast having them on the show. A big thank you to Efrat, Tamir, and Maddie for coming on. I think you'll really love this episode. So without further ado, here is our global CMO roundtable. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have a special guest group on the other side of the world, which is pretty exciting. The Global CMO Roundtable. Woo! What's going on, everybody? Hey. Hey. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so let's go around uh, around the horn here. This is our first um, our first ever remote global CMO roundtable. All three of you are in Tel Aviv right now. So uh, if you could just introduce yourselves to the audience. All right. Hey, everyone. My name is Efrat Fenigsen. I'm the, one of the co-founders of GCMO, the Global CMO Forum here in Israel. I'm also a co-host of a video cast called Market Shift in Hebrew here in Israel. And I'm also a strategic consultant for early stage startups, working with a couple of startups uh, in the medical space. And uh, I'm a speaker, a social media lover, <laughs> and, and an ex-CMO of a few startups and companies. Hi guys, uh, my name is Tamir Jerobi and I'm the VP Growth of Lemonade and I don't do anything else besides that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nice to be here. My name is Matiav. I'm the CMO of SodaStream and I'm just happy to be here with a couple of friends and have some good time. <laughs> you know, this is this is super exciting for us. When we when I first uh, spoke back uh, a couple months ago, to Efrat about how we were going to pull this thing off. I, it was so interesting to me that you all have this kind of tight, tight group of Israeli marketers and you have this uh, WhatsApp channel and you're messaging each other. And I just thought that that was, that was really cool because it shows, you know, I think there's a lot of other marketing groups that are like that, that have kind of small circles or tight knit circles in places, you know, all over the country or, in the US, but I think, you know, sometimes people, a lot of our listeners, you know, who are all over the world don't necessarily know about that. So 
I, you know, to start off, let's say, how did, how did you each get into marketing in the first place? Hmm. I take it. Okay. So I'm a self-taught marketeer. Actually, I didn't study formally anywhere. I had my computer uh, degrees in, in Melbourne, in Australia. So I'm a, a computer science uh, bachelor degree. And I was a video games developer for a few years. I wanted to transition from creating technology to creating conversation about technology. And I didn't really know how to do that. So I said, all right, let's open a business and I'll learn everything there is to know about the business world. And so I did. And I had a shop, a couple of shops for jewelry and fashion for a couple of years in in Australia. And I had an e-commerce shop in 2005 on eBay. And that's where I learned everything there is to learn about business, marketing, sales. It was a really good school for me. And um Yeah, I mean, I I did business development, sales and marketing after I did my business because I didn't really know what was right for me. And marketing was my passion, as I discovered, because I I discovered that creating a conversation about something was what really triggered me. So creating conversation, creating interest and a desire for something, that is something that really triggered me. So. That's such a wow. cool story. Yeah. Mine, mine sounds so boring compared <laughs> to that. That's how I got into marketing. So. Wow. I didn't know that, yeah, by the I was way. A, I told you I'm a, to yeah, yeah. I'm a geek. Yeah. Okay, I'm running. I did video games development, for Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'll go next, I think. So from, I think, a very young age, I knew I want to be a marketeer, actually. And I consider myself extremely lucky to have the opportunity to work on some great brands in my 20 years career. So one of my first positions in marketing was in Lego. So I worked for Lego's exclusive distributor in Israel as a brand manager. And that for me, I think, was a real milestone in my career, understanding the power of storytelling, of product innovation. Since then, I had the opportunity to work on some great brands like Disney and Nestle. And now I'm in SodaStream. So that's more or less the way I got into marketing. Nice. Amazing. Um, So in my case, I also knew from a young age uh, that I'm very curious about what what gets people to tick. What makes someone take a decision? Like why that this person is buying that product and this person is buying another product? I didn't know how to, like, if it's marketing or not. I just know, I just knew that what's interesting for me is to know what makes people take a decision. Well, like what are the forces driving you to buy something, if I want to be more specific? As I grew up, I became more and more interested in marketing, but there was something that always bothered me. Every marketeer, and I'm saying, let's say it's back to the year 2000 or so, but marketeers were very proud in their achievements. And for me, it was always very annoying that you say, yeah, so I did a TV ad that was running for the last year and I increased sales. Or I bought a space in Times Square and and the impact is awesome. And and the data that they were sharing was always like something was flawed there. And it always triggered me like that's that's that doesn't make sense. Uh but Something's then missing. something is missing. Uh and then when I grew up, I actually went to study engineering. Uh, which was very boring, but everyone told me I should study engineering. And my first job was actually as a web developer. And after two weeks of, of being a web developer, I understood this is not something I want to do for the long run. And 
Uh, luckily, I was working in a company that had many different teams and I was working with the marketing team and they were specializing in online marketing. And then I found out that there is a world out there that's called marketing and you can actually measure everything by descent. And for me, it was like a haha moment that, okay, I found my destination. And from that day, I didn't write another line of code and I only was driven by doing as much marketing as I can that I can measure and show the impact. That's so cool. I, I, I didn't know that, uh, that all of you had, had the twinkle in your eye of, uh, of marketing from a young age. That's pretty fun. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I'd like to, to take a step back and talk about the companies that you're currently working on for a little bit. Uh, you know, what you do and the kind of scope of works that you have as, uh, you know, CMOs, former CMOs or, or, or VPs, heads of marketing? So as a co-founder at GCMO, which is the community that we're featuring here, I think, yeah, one of the things I do is uh, building that community together with my three partners. So we've started this community about two years ago. Uh, because of a need we had, we felt very lonely being uh, VPs of marketing or CMOs without any support system or network. And so we started it by a friend bringing another friend, building that group slowly. I mean, Mati was one of the early founders of that team. And um, we built that group not knowing that it's going to be a really good resource for us going forward. And today, looking back, I think that we've built such a community that we can turn to for professional advice, for connections. Uh, we have a lot of professional meetups and, and groups, uh, taking subgroups taking place out of that group. And I think that that's a really good resource. I'm sure we talk more about the, the community aspect of it later. Uh, so that's on the GCMO side for me. And as part of my, my work as a consultant to a few startups, I act as a CMO today for early stage startups. I feel like there's there's so many startups here in Israel that need help and they really don't have the right tools for starting up and building their marketing foundations properly. I specialize in B2B, so I, I work mostly with these kind of startups and, and I really help them set the strategy. One of them is creating a, an amazing technology for people who are suffering after stroke or with a paralysis of some sort, and they're helping them with radio waves, uh, restore brain activity, and really people get off the chair and start working. I mean, that's something amazing. And there's another startup creating digital microscopes. I mean, the whole world of microscopes is not digitized yet. And so they're doing that. So for me, working with such cutting edge technologies and, and doing work of really setting up everything from scratch, from zero for this company is very exciting. So... That's about me. Oh, and previously, I was at Aerobotics, which is a, an autonomous drones uh, startup, raised about $110 million, five years old startup out of Israel here with a few offices globally. And uh, there as well, started everything from scratch. So there was nothing. I built the foundation, the strategy and started executing very fast. And the company grew to be about 200 people. So yeah, so awesome. that's me. Do you fly drones? <laughs> I didn't fly drones, but because they were autonomous, there was no need to fly them. Oh. I just need to know how to use the <laughs> software, and I'm very good at that. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So today, I lead the growth at Lemonade. 
before joining Lemonade, I was leading growth at Fiverr. Uh, they just uh, IPO'd, uh, I would say, in June, I think. Yeah, something like that. So maybe before I say I talk about Lemonade, I would say let's take a step back and talk about insurance for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> so insurance is, is hated. Everybody hates insurance. Most insurers, they are not there when you need them. So when you file a claim, you don't have the trust that they will actually pay you. And today insurance is something that is rotten and it's a very hated industry. And both of our founders at Lemonade, Shai and Daniel, they, they had a vision. They wanted to turn insurance into something amazing, into a company that people will actually fall in love with. And to do that, they had to reinvent many things. So, so number one is that they built an insurance company from the ground up. Today, Lemonade offers renters and homeowners insurance, and we use tech where other companies use paperwork. So for example, when you buy insurance with Lemonade, uh, you talk to a bot, it's easy as talking to your friend on Messenger, on, uh, on iMessage, and there is no paperwork, there is zero hassle, and it takes about 60 seconds to buy insurance, to get insured. So you can actually do that while you wait for your latte. It's that fast. And we actually have users saying, I bought your insurance while waiting for a latte, so it's amazing. And the thing that we understood is that there is a huge conflict of interest in the insurance world today. So when you buy a policy from your insurance company and then you file a claim at some point, you actually expect them to take money out of their packet and pay you back or even pay more than you actually pay them. And that's a conflict of interest. So what we do is different. So we only take a portion of the, of the premium, which is the, the value of the policy. We only take a portion of the premium for ourselves and that premium will always stay with us. The rest of the money we used to pay claims. So when you file a claim with Lemonade, we are very happy to pay you. Why? Because that money will never go back to our pocket, to our bottom line. And once a year, we call it the give back day. So once a year, the money that is left on the side after paying claims is going to a charity of your choosing. So by changing the model, by removing the hassle of paperwork and uh, talking to someone, which most people today, they prefer to chat or to text, just don't let me speak to a real human being. Uh, so we remove the hassle, we remove the conflict of interest. Uh, we've built a brand that is very lovable today in the United States. And by doing that, we have many users. And if you go on Twitter now and you search for tweets about Lemonade, you will see that people say, I love my insurance company, which is exactly the vision that we are trying Unheard to deliver. Unheard of. Unheard of, exactly. <laughs> so today we are offering uh, homeowners and renters insurance in most of the United States. And we actually recently also expanded to the EU uh, with Germany as the first country that we expanded to. And the goal is to keep growing both in terms of geos and also new verticals in the future. Yeah, I uh, I recently just had a monster claim that I had to pay, and boy, do I wish I had lemonade. <laughs> wow, uh, because it, it was not fun. So maybe we'll talk after this. For sure. Um, <laughs> but, and so, just quickly, so the and the company is headquartered in is it in New York or? Yeah, so we have uh, an office in New York in in Soho, and we have another office here in Tel Aviv. We kind of spread, I would say in Tel Aviv, you have the product growth and comms team. 
together with the dev. And in New York, we have, I would say, close to 100 people already. Uh, we recently opened another office in, in Amsterdam, as we are now licensed in Europe as well. And we have another office in Arizona. So already four offices in total. Great. So I guess it's my turn. So I work at SodaStream, just for those who, who don't know, SodaStream is the world leader in at-home sparkling beverage preparations. So we offer our products in 90,000 stores, 46 countries, and I've been the CMO for the past four and a half years, I guess. So we're actually on a mission, <laughs> <laughs> like Lemonade, a different mission to transform the beverage industry by providing a better for you, better for the planet choice. So we want to make sure that, you know, consumers today and people today understand the impact, the negative impact that a single-use plastic waste has on the planet. And this is what we're, you know, we're raising awareness to. And our product, I think, is a great solution because every sort of stream uh, bottle saves around 3,000 disposable bottles. Yeah, so I'm the global head of marketing and a member of the company's executive team. I lead the entire life cycle of SodaStream products from innovation to commercialization, as well as our global marketing communications. And yeah, I love my job. <laughs> Actually, maybe worth saying that, you know, we are SodaStream is... As, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I should, maybe I should maybe. mention that. Yeah. Yeah. We still act and feel like a startup, but, you know, SodaStream has been around for many years. But in the last few years, we really had, were having great momentum growing dramatically. And last year was maybe, I would say, a milestone in the history of the company. And we were acquired by PepsiCo for $3.2 billion. So really exciting, <laughs> exciting times at SodaStream. Yeah, I'd say that's, that's pretty favorable. Uh, pretty favorable uh, thing to... Uh, or pretty favorable exit there. Well, and you know, I remember the first time that I saw a soda stream because I was in the military and the military community is so tight knit that, you know, whenever you go over to your, your friend's houses and, you know, maybe their spouse has something new and or whatever it is, or they, they got some new thing. And I remember we went for like a company event and one of the people had this soda stream made all these sodas for everyone at this event. And I remember every single person's like significant other was like looking at them like, it's like, okay, well, it looks like 10 people are going to be buying this now. So uh, <laughs> I, I, it is one of those things too, that I think was so cool and novel at the time and kind of never lost its luster. You know, it's one of those products that just people, I think, feel the impact of being able to use it, you know, daily, weekly, whatever it is, and know that they are making a difference and also saving themselves money and saving the earth, which is uh, a pretty, pretty good win-win. Yeah, love it. So do you, do you actually own a SodaStream? I do not actually. Um, okay. So, so maybe... we need to take care of that <laughs> until the end yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll need, and we need, maybe we need one for the, uh, for the, for the mission studio so we can give, uh, we can give guests a little custom beverage. We do all sorts of fun beverages in the studio when you're all in, uh, Palo Alto next, we'll have to, uh, okay. we'll have to give you I guess you we have some... to come there next <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Um, well, and that's actually, you know, it's a great segue to, you know, the fact that we're doing this, you know, on the, on the other ends of the world, you're in Tel Aviv, all three of you. And I kind of want to talk about Israel for a little bit. And 
I think we've all kind of heard of this rise of the technology culture, the rise of Israeli founders being phenomenal founders for a bunch of different reasons. But what we haven't really heard as much is about marketers and Mm -hmm. what the marketing culture is there. What advantages do CMOs have? What disadvantages or challenges do CMOs have in Israel? And I'm curious, you know, I I mean, we're talking about Israel specifically today because all all three of you are, are Israeli, but I'm curious, like, you know, this isn't just an Israel specific thing. I think yeah. there's other, there's a lot of pockets in the world that have these sort of things where maybe sure. perceived advantages or challenges. I'm curious, like, what are those? Uh, is this something that's real? What's, what's the culture like there? Sure. I'm sure we'll find some similarities with other countries that have the same challenges. So Israel is a very small country. There's a very small local market here. And so companies that want to go big, they cannot focus on the Israeli market only unless they want to be a small business. But if they want to be a large company, they have to go global. And there's this misconception that Israelis are not good at marketing. I mean, that's at least what we what we found in global marketing. And I think that misconception starts a lot from the fact that uh, Israel is a very techie. I mean, at least the high tech industry here is very strong. So it's a very techie environment. And there is a lot of focus on R&D. There's a very strong R&D and product culture. And so... There's a tendency to think that we're very good at creating technology and and building good products and we have a problem in, you know, marketing them. And so uh, we see a phenomenon, at least in the last, I don't know, about 10 years, 15 years, that a lot of global companies that are running out of Israel are looking to hire CMOs or or top management um, marketing talent in the U.S. or in other countries because they don't necessarily think that they'll find the right people here or that we're, we can do global marketing out of Israel, being local here and not being close in, in proximity, physical proximity to the market. And so there are a lot of challenges that we that we see as, as top-level marketeers here in Israel. You see a lot of marketing, uh, senior marketing people, but in the local market and less in the global companies. And so, I mean, that's a challenge and that creates that kind of culture. And I think that's one of the reasons why, in a way, we united to create that community because there aren't many of us. And also we needed uh, that support system that I was talking about. And the other bigger agenda that the GCMO put together is to really raise the, the awareness and the perception of Israeli global marketeers. And I, I mean, that's that's where it was born. And I think that, you know, with stories like that, that are coming out through your podcast and through other channels, people are starting to see that these great Israeli companies that are operating globally and, and having successes in the U.S. and in other markets will not be there if they did not have good marketing leaders. I believe everyone listening to this podcast is an audience that understands that without good marketing, you can't really grow your business significantly. And so we're very proud to create that community that can push that agenda forward and you know, along the way, we can even help Israel with its branding and position that as a as a really global environment. So, I mean, I think that's one of the, the challenges I see. Do you guys yeah. see? I can definitely add another challenge. Um, to our culture. 
I would say that uh, growing up in a country that you later need to market to, it's an advantage. So I would say I probably have an advantage marketing to Israelis versus a CMO from Germany, for example. I actually never did that. So every company I worked for was actually aiming for the global market, especially for the reason that Frat mentioned, like Israel is too small. So if you want to bring a lot of sales and acquire a lot of users, you have to go global. So it's either US, usually US, but also EU or maybe China. But when we look at the global market, so I think being here in Tel Aviv and being able to tap into the culture in a faraway market, uh, understanding the trends that are happening in the market, uh, the slang even, uh, like feel the users. It's hard to do it from, from far away. And my way of solving that and something that I highly believe in is like always hire people from those markets. Uh, so in Tel Aviv, it's very easy to find almost every nationality yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing we have a lot of expats here yeah yeah so I would definitely say to anyone listening from far away countries targeting another market like try to find those expats uh, because I do believe that even if they are far away they still they are still connected and they still live uh, the trends and and what's happening in their home country and I Maybe let's not also forget the time zone issue. Like right. the West Coast is 10 hours ahead of Tel Aviv, which is, uh, which is very challenging for us. Uh, Boy, but we do make we it know work. it. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can feel that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, not ahead before us. So, so it's, it's morning for you. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and I love that insight. And uh, it's a really good point that I hadn't thought of, that there are people potentially around you that could help explain certain things. You know, I almost feel like as marketers, a lot of times when we're talking to customers or prospects, we need a translator to really determine, you know, what someone is means when they're saying something. But I think one of the things that we, you know, often forget if there are cultural barriers or just like colloquialisms or, you know, whatever it is, there also could be legitimate language barriers problems there too uh, yeah. looking at copy doing things like that having an extra editor is always a good thing when you can do it that that's a it's a really good really good point mm-hmm. yeah I, f- I forgot to even say that basic thing but our mother tongue is Hebrew and not English mm-hmm. and so finding English speakers in Israel is not I mean it, today it's quite common but our English levels are not necessarily great when we come out of high school so and I think even if it's great uh, there is something about it's enough that you put a comma in the in the of wrong course. place and someone can interpret it differently so yeah. I think you need to add the touch of someone from the local market if you want to make it perfect but I would say oh, today in Israel it's funny but I never wrote an email in Hebrew in yeah. all my years here in in Israel like everything is in in English. Today, there are no emails, there's Slack. So uh, even s- everything is in English. And we do that for many reasons. Most of the business terms are in English, but also most of th- every company will at least have 20, 30% of non-Hebrew speakers. Yeah. So, Or even just the board yeah. that needs to look at stuff from time mm-hmm. to time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it reminded me too of, uh, you know, of that fact that when you have so many folks... 
that have those kind of like slight cultural differences or, or variations. We had a guest on who is English and they were using some type of terminology. Like it was written by headquarters here in America. And it was like something along the lines of like, knock it out of the park or something like that. And uh, there's no baseball, you know, in, in England. Um, and so like, knock it out of the park doesn't make sense. And so he's like, they, he's like, we switched it to a cricket analogy and it made sense. Yeah. But those are those little things that like, mm-hmm. you know, even England and the U.S., which are obviously have very similar or, you know, two of the more similar countries have huge cultural differences. So you you start adding those things. And I think it's also a fun challenge for marketers. It, again, it's not just like you said, it's not just a challenge. It's an advantage because when you can speak in a certain way to someone about their experience in a way that you understand and you can, you know, split your messaging, that's actually a huge advantage to be able to kind of meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let me add another something else. The U.S. is huge. So when you speak to someone in Manhattan, uh, it's not necessarily going to be exactly the same like if someone in San Francisco or maybe in central of the U.S. So you, you always have to uh, find the, the right way to communicate your message. So that's another challenge. Yeah, actually, one of the things I love most about my job is communicating with other people and other countries and cultures. So for us, the U.S. is about 10-15% of the business. So we work with 46 countries. Most of my teams actually uh, not in Israel, but in other parts of the world. So it's always a challenge, but I love it. It's fun. How do you, how do you communicate with other cultures and understanding what they actually mean? So some are more passive-aggressive. <laughs> some are like Israelis, just tell it to you in your face. <laughs> so you need to find the right way to communicate with any, everyone. So that's interesting. I want to talk just a, a, a tiny bit about about global CMO and what GCMO kind of means, because when I first learned about it and, you know, this WhatsApp channel and all this stuff, like it's something that, again, a lot of marketers don't have and something that they really wish they had. So I just kind of want to talk about like why it's important to build a community of marketers wherever it is that you are. And some of the things of like how you lean on your peers and colleagues, you know, in the community. I would definitely let Efrat answer that, <laughs> but I just want to add one thing is like, I think I'm the newbie in the GCMO from the everyone here. For me, the biggest surprise was that marketeers are willing to share so much. For me, it was always like every time I met another marketeer and it's not necessarily from a like competitive, someone from the same industry, but it was always like I felt everyone is a bit afraid of sharing uh, their challenges or giving anything of the secret sauce. So I was always very, uh, I was invited to some meetups and roundtables, but I was always like, ah, no one is going to say anything that I'll find useful. So I must say that I'm, until this day, surprised that so many CMOs are, are even willing to meet and and talk about everything and nothing bad happens. Like even if you share, yeah. it's only helpful. That's a great insight. Correct. We have today 75 uh, CMOs on or, or VP of marketing in various companies and Or VCs. growth. 
Oh, VP sorry, growth. VP growth. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, uh, and VCs as well. And we started joining some uh, academic institutions as well. The reason behind it, uh, as I said before, is to bring us all together. And so what we do is we have monthly face-to-face meetups. And we're very surprised to see that although these are CMOs and they're all very, very busy, uh, most of them come to the sessions unless they are overseas uh, with work. So that's really, Why really great. Why are you looking at me? You, you're, <laughs> you're a lot overseas, but I forgive you. And also we have this WhatsApp group that I was telling you about, and we communicate through this WhatsApp group. And I must say, when we started and we were still small, about 20, 30, 40 people, it was a lot of fun. And it's still fun now for those of us who are active and have more time. But for those busy CMOs, we get the feedback that they can't even keep up with the pace of messages through the group. And so we're looking now into moving into Slack. <laughs> I know Tamir is begging uh, because there is really helpful information in the group every day. On a daily basis, we exchange information, ideas, even just insights, even challenges or requests for recommendations about vendors, about, you know, human resources we want to exchange some good employees between us so they don't go anywhere else before and so we do a lot of things inside the community before they go out we've also started in the recent year to amplify the good news that are coming out of those companies that are members in GCMO so I'm doing a lot of social media and we're doing some PR and some branding for for the the forum itself but there's a lot of stuff happening without us really working at it so there's There's a, a lot of subgroups that are forming up to solve different problems. For example, we're going to do uh, small sessions, pizza-sized sessions, so that people can sit around one table. So we have, uh, I think, three groups forming to discuss strategy and, and budgeting for 2020. So people are just bringing their strategic plans for the next year and consulting together how they're doing it and if they can share information they share from companies that are not competing with each other, obviously. But whatever they can share, they share. And so we formed those subgroups. Uh, we also did a webinar not long ago about how we build and structure our marketing organizations. And each one shared their org chart for the department. And it was very helpful. Not everyone participated, but at least 20 people did. And the insights were really valuable for some of the people that were dealing with questions of how to build their teams. We do some social events. So we have some secret dinners and uh, pub coming up soon. like pub dinners and things like that. Uh, so we invest quite a bit in that community, but we do that only because we see that the members want it and they participate and they get real value out of it. Yeah, I think because the, 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 the role of CMO is, is you're kind of lonely. Like yeah. you don't have anyone to consult with. Correct. Uh, it's not that your CEO <laughs> will CEO say, normally. build a plan for 2020 yeah. and let's, let's do it together. It's not going to work this way. So you have to... Uh, basically work with yourself like you can uh, maybe onboard someone in the team but at the end of the road you have to build a plan or take a consultant to help you and it's not very fun so yeah. yeah this is this is really good like that what would be some advice that you would share with folks who might be outside Tel Aviv or, or somewhere else that don't necessarily have a What they feel like is a strong marketing culture or a strong you know group of of marketers 
and want to start to build that network a little bit. Other than, by the way, they can always reach out to the Marketing Trends team, team at marketingtrends.com and shoot us an email anytime because we're here for you. But like, how can how can somebody kind of build that community? And then, you know, as uh, VPs of growth, as CMOs, how would you encourage other people to try to, you know, cultivate that sense of sharing and that sense of community? It's a good question because I tried a few years ago, actually, to get some growth mindset people in the room together and it was very hard. Hard, yeah. Yeah. Building communities is hard, but I think one of the questions we talked about before that's going to be here, what, what do you think about the future of marketing? So what makes me tick today is communities. Like I, I'm so hyped about communities because I think that that's a really strong channel for marketing going forward. And I think that if it's tapped too well, it can be a really strong growth strategy for the company. Be- building a community is not easy, but once you crack what the value is and what people want to do together and you invest time and energies and creativity and what you can do for that community, then I think you'll find that that's a really strong tool for carrying your message onward because you have an ambassador after ambassador after ambassador in that community if they're happy. And so, I mean, that ties both, you know, your question is about how can other people have those GCMOs in their countries, but also what are communities good for in marketing? I think it's, you you can look at it in both ways. So, I mean, if I needed to do this all over again, I mean, Mati started it, I took on with other people, but I think that we would do it all over again because once you find that people have value and share information and they can really use that as a tool for their lives, they will stay in that community. They will do whatever it takes. They will contribute back. And so I think what it takes is really uh, a little bit of uh, grit and uh, perseverance. Uh, you need to be committed to it because there is work involved but there is a lot of value. And so it just, it takes a small group and then one friend brings another and it becomes this community before you know it. <laughs> Mati, what do you think? Actually, I think without you and your friends, it wouldn't have happened because you need so much energy. But I think the value of the, mem- the, value the members get is so high. So I would just say, reach out to a couple of CMOs yeah. and just start from a very small group and it will grow. Yeah. Yeah. But you definitely need someone to lead that. Like to you push. need someone who is willing to invest yeah. the time. I wasn't willing to do that when I tried a few years ago. Like it's it's time consuming. That's why we see that community manager today is a role. Yes. Yeah. That it that's it. It's a role. Anyone can hire now a community manager for their company and start thinking about how they build communities within their for their brands, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah. I mean, so th- it's funny. We we talk about that a lot for our podcast is like, what is the role of a producer? But like Ben, Ben Wilson, who, you know, you all have worked with is like our community manager for marketing trends, right? Like he's the one who's going to answer the emails at the end of the day when people reach out and have guest ideas or questions or things like that. And so, you know, Ben is, you know, indispensable for the show because he's our community manager for in in all intents and purposes. And I think if you kind of shift thinking around, like instead of around the product or around whatever it is and around the the service that they're providing to people, how well they inform your customers and prospects of things, 
how well they, you know, keep connections or, you know, maintain those and are truly trying to help people, then you kind of shift the thinking, right? And I think it's such an kind of obvious thing in retrospect that having like, you know, those community managers, but it really is a super important piece. And you have to find someone who loves doing that, who wants to work with people, who wants to answer the questions, who wants to think creatively, because if you don't have someone on your team that's fired up to do it every day, I, you know, I promise it's, it's not going to be a good situation for anyone. Yeah. So I want to switch into just some campaign stuff here. What are some of your favorite campaigns that you've all uh, been a part of? Ah. <laughs> you go, to me. You go. <laughs> I have so many, but I have my favorite as well. Uh, so it's actually something that, that we did at Lemonade. So one day, I think it was a Saturday, I wake up and I, my phone is, is exploding. I have so many messages, tons of messages waiting for me and all from my friends in the States. Uh, so apparently State Farm, uh, which is one of the largest insurance companies I'm sure most of you are familiar with, they launched a campaign uh, featuring uh, NBA star James Harden and, and uh, that actor Oscar from The Office, I forgot his, his last name. And basically in that commercial, they mock technology and the use of bots. So basically everyone was texting me because it was quite clear that it was created to mock lemonade technology because we were the only one doing that. We are the only one using bots to pay claims. And we all saw that and we just loved it. (laughs) We were all like, wow, this is amazing. And in lemonade, we highly believe in the saying that uh, different is better than better. Everything we do, we try to do different. So uh, we built a different insurance company. Our product is different. Our growth is different. Even our campaigns, even if you see a Facebook campaign made by Lemonade, it will be different from other campaigns you've, saw, you've seen before. So we also knew that our reply to this should also be different. And what we did is, I would say, really crazy. We downloaded the video from YouTube to our computers, okay? <laughs> and we uploaded that commercial, State Farm commercial, into our YouTube account, the Lemonade YouTube account. And we started promoting it and actually sending users to State Farm website. So you would see a State Farm ad and you will have a banner next to it saying, this ad is being sponsored by Lemonade. (laughs) And if you click any of the CTA, you will actually get to State Farm website. And you can probably ask yourself why... I'll be promoting an ad that makes fun of us. And the thing is that we understood that it reveals more about State Farm than it does about Lemonade. Because the ad relies entirely on schoolyard name calling and and mockery. And we think that State Farm exposes their insecurities basically in innovation. And for us, it's exactly what What we needed. Yeah, Yeah. what we we believe is exactly (laughs) the opposite. And once we went live with that campaign, it actually went viral. So many users started seeing this ad and started tweeting about it, like what's going on. And even some media outlets captured that, all the big ones. And I think the coolest thing, and this is, I think, why this campaign is is for me one of the best, is the number of CVs that <laughs> I, I received on LinkedIn uh, from marketeers all over the world. And basically what they're saying is, 
I want to work in a company that the CMO will not fire me yeah. from uh, <laughs> promoting my competitors' uh, ads <laughs> on YouTube. And will actually promote me. And the funny thing is, like, a lot of people are asking me, how did Google actually allow you to run with this ad? Like, it's against probably YouTube guidelines. And what I heard is that it never happened before. So they didn't have a rule saying you cannot promote your, <laughs> your competitor's content. ad. Uh, so we were able to run with this ad for quite a while. And it, it went viral and it <laughs> caught like fire and I think eventually I, I, I got more like I would say close to 200 messages on LinkedIn with I want to work for Lemonade your brand is awesome I want to do crazy stuff like this one so Unreal. that's mm-hmm. definitely my favorite campaign that's incredible <laughs> I love it it's always great to have a big hairy enemy right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you've got a big Yeah. Uh, not enemy, a big star yeah. as your presenter. I, I, I am actually, it's hard for me to choose because I'm very proud of, you know, the campaigns we've been running in the last few years. I, if I would need to choose one, it would probably be the April Fool's campaign that we oh, did in the last four years. So, so actually a funny story that it started <laughs> back in 2015 I had this crazy idea that let's let's make up a fake brand. So we inva- invented a fake brand and we took it extremely serious. So we developed a product that was a kind of a sparkling water bottle that's in the shape of a dumbbell. It was extremely heavy. So when you, you know, you pick it up from the store, It's good for you because you, you exercise. exercise. <laughs> exactly, you exercise. And we developed this product with designers and we produced a few. We took a um, presenter. Our presenter was the strongest man in the world, The Mountain from Game of Thrones. And we created a campaign that we launched April Fool's 2015 that he's promoting this brand. And it was basically to make fun of, you know, people that are Caring. carrying heavy bottles from the store. So I'm in JFK in New York, uh, going on a flight April first. Uh, 11 hours, we're launching this. I have no idea how the campaign is doing. And then I land, and you know, my phone is also exploding. And we got, in 12 hours, 35 million views. Wow. Ha- hundreds of thousands of shares. Like amazing. PR all over the, the world. And then we, 12 hours later... When I landed, we launched the second part of the video saying, you know, don't be stupid, don't <laughs> carry heavy buttons, just take a soda stream. So for us, that, for us, that was fun. We always try to think of our marketing and how do we really create disruptive marketing? Because we see ourselves competing against the big guys in the beverage category that have billions of dollars. So we need to think a bit different, also like Lemonade. So we think about... creating disruptive videos and that was a fun one and then in the next uh, three years we also launched a pre-fools campaign reaching the top five campaigns in the world and uh, yeah that you had was one fun. with Paris Hilton yeah Paris Hilton was <laughs> with a good the pill one. <laughs> and you had one with the astronaut was the astronaut so yeah April Fools is a fun way They to convey a our me- message Fools. and yeah. it became a tradition a tradition so exactly. wait for next April Fools amazing <laughs> we can can we get can we get Gal Gadot as a uh, soda stream ambassador here I feel like this can't be that hard 
it's actually my dream. So let's see. <laughs> hey, we're, let's work on it. Gal, you're okay. probably listening. If she's a listen, listener of the show, she probably loves marketing, I'm sure. I'll text so, her. Yeah, we'll, 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 get it, <laughs> we'll get it off the ground. Effie? Yeah, so my campaign will be a little bit different. Not that funny, but uh, impactful all the same. I think so. I mean, I hope so. We had a great opportunity last year in um, October when uh, the German counselor Angela Merkel came to visit Israel. Actually, it's not it's not a campaign that I ran through work. It was something I did after work uh, because it was it's an agenda that is close to my heart. So Angela Merkel came to visit here in Israel and she was invited by the prime minister and the Innovation Authority of Israel to participate in a conference, an innovation and entrepreneurship conference, a roundtable, sorry, not a conference, a roundtable, uh, of about 30 people that were invited to that roundtable. And she was sitting in the, you know, in the head of the table, and all around her, the participants of the roundtable were all men. And so she opened and said, from the looks of it, it looks like there are no women in the tech and entrepreneurship uh, scene in Israel. And the prime minister was sitting right next to her, our prime minister. And he was like laughing a little bit, feeling uncomfortable. But that was the situation. She remarked that she was the only woman in the room. And that was a little bit sad because the entrepreneurship and, and innovation tech scene here in Israel has many women. They're just uh, not invited sometimes. And so that was a sad event. And it was quoted in many media outlets that that's what she said. And it wasn't really good publicity for the, the conference or the roundtable session. And so myself and, and a group of uh, about a dozen amazing women from various communities here in Israel, we joined forces together and we decided to create that campaign. It was very timely. We had only five days, I think, to do it until we wanted to make an impact. So uh, we straight away opened our joint WhatsApp groups and we had work groups and a couple of us, uh, myself and another, we were in charge of PR and media. And um, what we did is we decided that we're going to do, oh, by the way, the famous photo of that day, of that roundtable was the 30 men and Angela Merkel uh, standing in the middle. So we said, we're going to do a corrected photo and we're going to have Angela Merkel in the middle, but we're going to invite now female founders, entrepreneurs, uh, um, women of the industry of innovation and entrepreneurship, as well as men, as we should. And we're going to take another photo. But instead of doing that just one time in Tel Aviv, in the middle of the city, we're going to do it in all the big cities around the world where we have Israeli entrepreneurs and, and uh, innovation leaders. And so we had seven cities. We had it in San Francisco, in Berlin, in London, in, in New York, in Tel Aviv. And, and a couple of others in Europe. And we all decided on a day and time that everyone's going to go to their place. Like in, in Tel Aviv, we did it in the middle of the city, in the Rabin Square. And we had a lot of people invited to come. We produced Angela Merkel's photos at a print shop, real size. So it looks like her. And we had that for every photo shoot. And she was standing in the middle, right? And everyone around her. And we obviously invited all the media to come. We, we issued the press release and, and the media alerts before so that they know what time and place we're going to be at and where we're going to take that photo. And instead of actually taking a photo, it was 
I think about 20 or 30 reporters from uh, local and global networks coming to take that photo for us. And that campaign reached then global media. We went on to New York Times and the biggest German newspaper Amazing. as well. And she actually, uh, Angela Merkel saw that. And we knew from her people that worked for her. She saw that and she actually sent us some messages uh, through her people and, and congratulated us. And through that, nice. that I think... The move was to really impact that community here in Israel and show that, you know, there there's a place for women, even if you forget it sometimes. And uh, and I think we're really starting to raise the bar on, on that agenda here in Israel. So that was a campaign I was very proud of. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. You'll win. <laughs> I don't win. <laughs> uh, those were uh, those might be three of the best campaigns we've ever heard on the show. That was funny. <laughs> uh, you probably uh, say it to everyone. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Producer Ben almost did a backflip. Uh, <laughs> um, well, that's it. That's that's all we have. That's all we have time. We're like we're we did amazing here, everyone. I just want to thank you all for for joining. We gotta clearly do this again because I think we got through about a third of the questions. But yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have to bring all of you back and and do this again. Thanks for With joining pleasure. us. Any any final thoughts just around the horn? Just thanks for having us. I yeah, think it was I a mean, lot of fun. For us, it's a pleasure to be hosted yeah. in your podcast. So we're listeners and we're happy to, uh, to contribute. So thanks. I was waiting for the lightning round questions. I know we have, we'll have to do we'll, we'll have to do it we'll have to do it next I'll, I'll get oh. you uh, I'll get you all on we'll get you all on individually so that we can do some uh, some deeper dives in what you're building uh, okay that's sounds good sounds fair awesome <laughs> thanks thank you very much thanks y'all thanks guys bye 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 thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. 
the speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.